a good song, yeah? Amen. Is it working? Okay, I'll just make sure before I start talking that you can hear me. Um, that's a good song. He's God over the storm. Amen? And we are His. That's something that the scripture today that we turn to in Ephesians. Chapter 3 is where we're going to go today. And you'll be able to follow along pretty close. That's something that the Apostle Paul will echo today. That um, He is God over the storm. That we are His. He's identified us as His own. He's going to cover that in, in, in uh, specific in chapter 4 when we get there. Um, how many of you recognize that second worship song that we did today? Not at Calvary. You ought to know at Calvary by now if you don't know that. And we got to, you know, we got to maybe question your salvation. <laughs> um, but that second song, raise your hand. Did you know that song? A lot of our people do, but we've only heard it in like one place because we did it at VBS one year. And um, so that's where it came from. And we do VBS here, and we do it at another church called True Gospel, and then we prepare, prepare for a couple weeks before that, and, uh, or really a couple months would be more accurate. And um, so those songs get burned in your head. And I, I said last night, I'm really grateful that that one did, that um, if there's any VBS song that I would like to have burned in my head, it's that one. It's, uh, it's good, and it's right from Scripture, right from where we're coming from today in Ephesians chapter 3. How deep, how long, how wide, how high is God's love for us, how far it goes. And um, it is a beautiful passage, and that's a beautiful song to help us remind, or to help remind us of who God is, His love for us this morning. Amen? Um, I got a little frustrated, I have to admit, when I was putting this together this week and looking um, into chapter 3 and in chapter 4 and how to convey that and how to really um, think about how big is God's love for us. And it should cause a little frustration if you really try to quantify that, if you try to pull out a measuring tape or some sort of human um, unit of measurement to try to measure God's love, it will cause a little frustration because it's just an impossibility. And in that, I started looking about, you know, around what are the big things on the earth. And you know that the highest landmass that we have here on earth that we know of is Mount Everest. It's huge. It's the biggest mountain in the Himalayas. And then you can go to uh, the Pacific Ocean and look at the Mariana Trench is what it's called. And that's one of the deepest depths that we know of and have um, tried to explore. And they say that Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean, you can take Mount Everest and put it in that trench. And you, it wouldn't even break the surface of the water. It's that deep, you know. And you try to think of all that we already know um, through technology of our solar system and how vast and how wide the things that we don't even know um, that are not even discovered yet, right? We just know as much as we do know um, as far as technology has gone, which is pretty vast. But even the vastness of all of these things that we consider is just not good enough. So it causes a little frustration when you try to quantify God's love for us. And then that's the idea that the Apostle Paul is going to give us today. How deep, how wide, how long, how high is God's love for us? And the realization that he's praying that we'll catch, that we'll understand this morning, and that the Ephesian people would understand, is that God's love is beyond our comprehension. That it's not something you're going to pull out a measuring tape or any human form of measurement. And, and put it somewhere where we can figure it out in this box. And this is God's love for us. It's bigger than we can comprehend. And the Apostle Paul is going to pray, and I pray for us this morning, that we would get that, right? That it wouldn't just be something that we've heard over and over and over again and that we're used to and that we're callous to and that we just kind of know like 2 plus 2 is 4, but that it would be something that the Apostle Paul is praying that we will get it and um, to get how far God's love goes for us, how deep. How wide, how long, how high, how unsearchable is God's love to you and me this morning. And um, I'm, I'm grateful. 
for the time that we're able to spend in the book of Ephesians. Before we um, get there, let's pray. Let's go to him just one more time. God, thank you so much for who you are. And before we ask anything of you, Lord, thank you for who you are, for your great love for us. God, thank you that in the revelation of who you are, you show us that you, um, your love for us knows no end, that your power knows no end. And you've gone to great lengths to rescue your people, to ensure that we can be who you created us to be, and that is one with you. So God, I just pray that you would just um, draw us close this morning and help us as we go into the scripture that we would just be focused and attentive, and Lord, that you would just search our hearts, as David said in the Psalms, that Lord, you would search our heart and see if there be anything inside of us that's not like you, anything that, any attitude or thought process that needs adjustment. Lord, you are welcome in this place, and you're welcome in our hearts and in our minds, Lord. Have your way and be preeminent in our lives. God, you take the top spot this morning. Lord, we just are willing. Come before your throne, which is a privilege all in itself, Lord. And we just say that we're willing to submit to your lordship, Jesus. We are yours today. So, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your revelation. Thank you for the book of Ephesians. Thank you for the work of the Apostle Paul. And thank you, Lord, for the God-breathed word that would be written for our good and for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to go. This is the book of Ephesians. Um, we entitled this, Who We Are, because of who Jesus is. And we talked a couple weeks ago. We started this study. And um, there's, I just want to remind you of some of the history of this book, because anytime you sit down to read the book of Ephesians, you should bear this in mind, where it came from and who wrote it and in what circumstance he wrote it from, because it just adds to the beauty and the power of what God did in that moment through the Apostle Paul when we understand the nature by which this book came along. So just as a reminder, it was established on Paul's second missionary journey. And then on, the, on his third missionary journey, he took a break and he stayed with them. Not really a break, but he stayed with them for three entire years. And he lived among them and he loved them. And um, they were one people. And then you can go over to Acts chapter 28. And I encourage you as we go through the book of Ephesians that you'll do that. That you'll go to Acts chapter 28 and read the Apostle Paul's departure words to the Ephesian people. And there you're going to find the Apostle Paul saying, hold the line, hold the truth, and be sure that you don't let anything or anyone come in and alter the revealed truth that Jesus has given to us. Hold that line and make sure that the truth stays capital T truth. And that's the same kind of encouragement that we can have today. And no circumstance, no policy, no nothing that we live in can change what is the capital T, absolute truth right? Truth is not relative. Truth is absolute in this, in this way. So here in Acts chapter 28, there's this, um, there's this farewell to the Ephesian people, which again, I think is really beautiful and worth your time while we go through the book of Ephesians. And then here some years later, the apostle Paul is in, on house arrest. He's in trouble and not because he's done anything wrong, but just because he is fulfilling his God-given calling to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. And then as he's doing that, he is in prison by people who do not think that that's okay. So he's on house arrest. No telling what the um, outcome is going to be. It could be death. There's just no telling. He's waiting on a, on 
on the outcome of this house arrest. And that is where um, we pick up and we begin to read and we understand that the Apostle Paul is writing to people that he loves, that he loves dearly, that he has invested a great chunk of his life in. And then he moves on and he's writing back to these people because he can't go see them face to face. He's on house arrest and this could be the end. So maybe it's with that thought in mind that he sits down with a pen to write some things to the Ephesian people. So um, the study that we started together a couple of weeks ago, if you're visiting with us for the first time or just for the first couple of times, welcome. Thank you again for being here. Um, and we started a study a couple of weeks ago called 21 Days in Ephesians. And we're breaking it in half to actually 42 days in Ephesians. You can do it electronically. We have paper copies. You can do it with us. We invite you to do that. It won't be too much because basically you're just going through devotionally in Ephesians one chapter a week. So um, the timeline on our study, and if you need help finding that, you can go to our website, you can come to me, or um, anyone out front can show you how to get there electronically if you're having any trouble finding that. The timeline is we've gone through chapters 1 and 2 devotionally together. So today is the 6th, and we're going to come from chapter 3 and 4 um, in the preaching, and then for a couple weeks you'll be doing 8 through 14, days 8 through 14 of the devotion, and just have that done by the 20th when we come back here again and, um, and break open chapters 5 and 6 together. Um, so that's the timeline and who we are because of who Jesus is. And then we're going to move on to chapter 3 today. But before we do, um, there's got to be a reminder of chapters 1 and 2. And why is that? Because the beginning of chapter 3, if you have your Bible open, look at it. Look at it right there. And, it, and it's going to say, for this cause I. You know, any translation that you have in front of you will have that kind of... Um, that kind of thought to it. So for this cause or because of all of this, then. So what is all that because of this? And that's what we've gone over for the last couple of weeks, devotionally, you by yourself, and what we talked about a couple of weeks ago when I preached then. So I just want to recap and remind, what are these things that the Apostle Paul is talking about? Because of all of these things, what are those things? So in chapter 1, he opens up and he refers to these people. It's very clear in this whole book that he is addressing the universal church, that you and I together or anyone from anywhere across the world that is in Christ is in the same body, that we are unified by Christ and by Christ alone, right? And that's what brings us together. That's what brings us together in the family of God and makes us a sisterhood and a brotherhood and fellow heirs, that we are family together and it's all one body, Jew, Gentile, and today, no matter who you are, where you come from, when you're in Christ, that you're together, one church. And this one church together, we are holy. We are holy, that we are not marked and um, defined by the sin of our past or by original sin, that we understand that by nature and by choice, that we are sinful people, but we are holy because of the blood of Christ. Who am I because of who Jesus is? Holy, righteous. I live in peace because of his grace. The Apostle Paul points to our stance of peace with the creator of the entire universe because of his grace. Because of his grace, because of his goodness, I have peace and right standing with God the Father this morning. That's awesome. Amen? All right. So we are blessed with every spiritual blessing he says there in chapter 1. Um, that is necessary for us to live the life that God has called us to live. When God says to do, he's not, he's not left us ill-equipped to do what he's asked for us to do. We just got to pick the equipment up and use it. So rather than asking for these spiritual blessings over and over and over again, right, and living in lack 
of those things. He's saying appropriate these spiritual blessings by faith. What are those spiritual blessings? Some of them, and the themes that he addresses there in the first part of chapter 1, is election, that I am chosen. Not forsaken by God, but this is Jesus who became sin himself, right? When I was full of it, he became sin on our behalves, and he died for us, amen? And sin there was defeated. Death, hell, and the grave is defeated because of who Jesus is, and I'm chosen. I'm adopted into this family. Adoption, redemption. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, amen? The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, and we shouldn't be afraid to do that, amen? We can boldly say, yes, absolutely, we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, that I'm under God's grace and not his wrath predestination is in there. Forgiveness, that I'm forgiven and free and blameless in the presence of God. I have wisdom, I have understanding, knowledge of the mystery of his will, that this, um, this thing that Christ did, these messianic prophecies that are given throughout the Old Testament, that all of these things are broken up and revealed in Christ. No longer veiled, but we have the knowledge of the mystery of God's will, and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. That God himself comes and makes residence in our being when we accept Christ. It's beautiful. That we have an inheritance that the Bible says is not corruptible, right? Nothing can touch that. This inheritance that we have is this promise of eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord, right? Jesus said, when I go, it's needful that I go. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And then I'm, when I leave, I'm going to prepare a place for you, Right? And we hold on to that promise. And we know that that is our inheritance. That this is our God who loves us that much. That that is our future. That is our promise. That is our inheritance. These are the themes that come alive in chapter 1. So Paul then breaks into this prayer for the universal church, which again includes us, that we are in this body. He's writing to the Ephesians, but it's very clear that he defines the universal church, and Paul prays. And when he prays, he's saying, I pray that you would grow in intimate knowledge of God, right? That this is pointing to more than a knowledge of an understanding of statistics or statistical information about God. I tell the kids sometimes in the youth group where the difference in knowing of someone and knowing someone is very vast. I can know people's families and I can know their stature. I can know what they've done in their lives and I can watch them and admire them from afar on TV, right? Or whoever it is that we might idolize in some way on the earth, right? But I don't know them. I don't know them intimately. I don't have an intimate knowledge of that person. And may it not be said that God is the same way in our lives, right? Amen? That we've been offered this relationship that we can have a one-on-one -on -one personal relationship with the God of all creation. And that should not become commonplace in our hearts where we don't um, appreciate and take advantage of that relationship that has been unfolded and given to us this morning. Amen? It's a beautiful thing that we have this opportunity for a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the Lord. Something that I heard that I love and I just, I don't think I'll forget is I heard a man say one time that I am not a person who has one eight billionth of God's attention or affection, right? Eight billion pointing to the idea of how many people are alive on the earth today, right? That God is not stressed out and his power is not maxed out on other people, that he doesn't have anything left for me, right? I don't know how he does it, but he's, this is the God of the entire universe, and I do not have just one eight billionth of his attention, but one-on-one. -on -one. 
somehow he provided access that I could come right before his throne at any moment, right? So let that not become commonplace. Let us live a life that is um, filled with gratitude for that and take advantage of the relationship that we have been provided with, um, with the God of the universe. Amen? We, the church, are complete in Christ. He's going to repeat this theme over in chapter 3, that we are complete in Christ, that Christ completes the church. It points to the idea that you and I are creatures of this most high God, and we were created for a particular reason, and that is relationship, fellowship, communion with him. Therefore, we are made complete by Christ. And each one of us know people, and each one of us have probably spent a season of our own lives chasing stuff, trying to feel complete or satisfied. If I just, if this situation in my life changed just in this direction, I feel like I would be okay. Or if I had this much, or if I could just work a little harder and get to this point, right? Or if my children just acted like this, then everything would be fine in my life, right? But that means that we are putting something else in the middle of our being, and we're focusing in our attention on that rather than Him. But we got to live with this understanding that he completes the church. I am the church. Jesus completes us and not stuff. Amen? So chapter 2 goes through. Now remember, the Apostle Paul in chapter 3, we're getting there. But he's laid this beautiful foundation that we can't forget when we, when we look at the words. Because of all of this, we got to remember what he's saying. So in chapter 2, he says, now we're dead in our sin. Remember, he is breaking open doctrine in these first three chapters. What is the truth? Right? And then he's going to get to practice in 4, 5, and 6. So this is still part of that doctrine that he's breaking open for us. And he's reminding us that as his people that we were dead in sin. But God, you can look there in chapter 2 and it says it. So great in mercy. And remember that the adjectives to describe God's grace and mercy are showered and poured. Not just a small measure, but God pours his grace out. He showers his mercy to us on our behalf. Lord, he makes us clean. Thank you, Lord. So we are new creatures, born again. And I put John chapter 3 there because as you go through the study of Ephesians, it would benefit us all to go back to the chapter 3 of John, of the gospel of John, and just read again that conversation that Jesus and Nicodemus have, right? About this idea of us being born in the Spirit and born and made new and just let those words rest in us again as we study through the book of Ephesians. In about verse 7 of chapter 2, he begins to paint this picture that if God ever needs across all the ages an example of his grace, of the richness of his mercy, all he has to do is point over to the shelf of trophies to my life and say, look at that, right? That we are made recipients not of his wrath, but rather we are recipients of his grace. And it says that God can point to us as a trophy, of his grace and the richness of his mercy across all the ages as examples of his great grace and mercy. He can point to you the same way, can he not? Man, that's a good spot to turn back to if ever you feel unworthy, right? If ever you feel um, the weight and the pressure of the sin of your past, that is a great place to go to, amen? Because rather than focusing on the weight of that stuff, I remember this is our God 
who points to me as an example of his great grace and his mercy. At the end of chapter 2, he gets into this idea again, and he breaks it up in well about how we are one body, one body in Christ. You, Gentile, no matter who you are, where you come from, you're under Christ. He is, we're all a piece of this building that God is building together, that there's no one more important than the other, that this is all one building that God is building, and each of us are an equal part of that building except for one, and that is Jesus. He's the cornerstone. He is the head of the church, and he's the one that holds this thing up, and it is because of him that this building is being built, period, right? But we get to be a part of that. We are in God's family, and we're a part of what God is doing, what he's building through his church. So we praise the Lord that he allows us to be a part of that. Amen? So now, chapter 3 is going to come, and he's going to say, now, because of all this stuff, because of all that we have in Christ, because of who I am, because of who Jesus is, what about it, right? That's what he's going to say. Look at chapter 3. I'm going from the King James today, so you'll be able to follow along well. No off-the-wall stuff until the end, all right? Yeah, King James only right now. Okay, so this is for this cause, he says. I, Paul, he, this is to say when I think of all of this stuff, the prisoner now, when he says prisoner, I don't think that this is with any contempt in his voice or in his spirit. He is saying there that it's like a waiter. I choose to serve the Lord. I'll go to the table and take your order. God, what do you want from my life? And it is my honor to do that. Amen? I hope we have that same spirit when, it's, when it comes to reading the word and allowing the Lord to move in our lives. Lord, have your way. What do you want? And it's done. Amen? If you have heard of the dispensation of grace of God, which is given me to you, word, right? And he's talking to Gentiles here. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. And then he's going to say, which by the way, right? He's going to say, because of all of these things, this is what I do. And I'm the apostle to the Gentiles, which by the way, so he's going to break off. Look at your Bible. He's going to break off. And from verse 3, to about 13. Yeah, to th not about 13. I'll say it, 13. From 3 to 13, he's going to break off on a tangent for a second. And then look at verse 14. And at verse 14, he's going to say it again, for this cause, or when I think about all these things. So he's going to get back to his original thought, but he's going to break off on a tangent for a second. Now, we don't have a whole lot of time, so I'm just going to give you a, a synopsis of this tangent. And what he is saying, that he's, he knows exactly what he's called to do. He knows God's message. He knows his calling. And that is to reveal the mystery of Christ to the Gentiles, right? He's the apostle to the Gentiles. To tell them who Jesus is. To give them the good news. To tell them about the power of his blood, right? To, to, to break open the good news of Christ to the Gentiles. He knows God's message is what he's saying. And he's saying, now, among all the saints, he calls himself in this little spot the least. The least. Among all the saints, and he says um, that God will use the unity in the church as a tool to display his wisdom. I thought that was beautiful, right? Now, look at 11. We're actually going to go to 11 and read there. And it says, according to the eternal purpose which he pur purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this is, this is here. He's getting back to it, that he is doing all of this according to God's will. Right? That he knows who he is. He knows what he's called to do. He knows God's message, and he's been about doing it. Right? He's been about doing it. And this is what's purposed in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whom we have boldness. This should remind us of Hebrews chapter 4. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith in him. Right? Again and again. We might have been in church 
for how many years? You can fill in the blank for yourself, right? But a lot of us have been in church for a long time, and we've understood this concept that with Jesus living in me, I can come before God's throne anytime I want to. But don't let that become commonplace. That's a big deal. Amen? And when we allow ourselves to live in the weight, how weighty that is to come freely, boldly, confidently before the creator of the entire universe and have a one-on-one audience, right? There's this gratitude that should well up in us, right? From being able to do that and being able to come to God. So, he says in 13, I desire that you faint not. I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. So he's pointing to the fact that he's in prison. And he's saying, so I know who I am. And I know what I'm called to do. And I know God's message. And I'm doing these things. After I think of all these things, and I am the Gentile, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. Don't be discouraged by my imprisonment. How often would it be that we would go before the Lord and we would say, you know, when you really break this open and you think about it, this is the Apostle Paul. Yes, he was a very bad man in the beginning, but now we see a life that he even calls poured out before the Lord. This is the Apostle Paul. He travels and he preaches and that's all he does. He's not about amassing some sort of wealth somewhere. He'll go to a place, he'll make some tents, he'll preach the gospel and he's pouring his life out. So God, what are you doing? Why in the world is this man? Could you not have protected him? You know? But the Apostle Paul in the middle of this affliction that is very real looks at these people that he loves so much and he says, do not be discouraged by my imprisonment. He's saying instead of focusing on a trial, on a circumstance, on a physical measure of something, he's about to show them where to point their attention to instead. Going back to the last series, that is um, our big God about the big picture. Now Paul didn't, he couldn't have possibly known in the moment where his words would go. But y'all, it's 2020 and you and I are sitting here benefiting from his time on house arrest today in our own language. There's no way that he could have known the impact that his house arrest would have, right? And it's a beautiful thing. Now, he didn't know that, but his attitude was still adjusted to the place where my hope and my trust and my confidence is in Christ. So do not use this moment of my house arrest as a measure of discouragement to make you leave or to question God. Don't allow this moment to be a box that you tick against God to say, God, where are you and what are you doing and why are you allowing this to happen? He's saying, don't be discouraged by that. It is for you and it's for your glory. 14, for this cause. Now he's back to it. He says, for this cause, I bow my knee. Why? Because I am saved, I'm forgiven, I'm free. I have all these spiritual blessings that I used to be dead to sin and now I live and walk in a newness of, of life and I walk in Christ. And it says, for this cause, for all these things, what? He's saying, I get on my knees and I bow before God the Father. And what is he gonna say? What is his prayer God, rescue me from this house arrest. No, his prayer is in a nutshell, in my own interpretation. 
is I pray that these people would get it. That we would not sit and listen and soak up the word and it not have effect in our hearts and in our minds because we're callous to hearing it. This was a day when everything was new and everything was tough and they had to stand on the line. But today we stand on the shoulders of generations of people who have come before us who have fought for the word of God and have proclaimed over and over and over again about the absolute truth of Jesus Christ, right? So it can become commonplace. But he's saying, I'm praying for you people that you will get it. And for the universal church across all ages, back then and now, the Apostle Paul's prayer and our prayer for one another today, I really believe should be, God, let us get it. Let us understand, not that we can take out a measuring tape and measure how big and how wide, how long, how high is your love, right? But that we would get the idea that God's love for us for real is incomprehensible, that it is bigger than we can understand and that we lived in in this moment of gratitude across the days of our lives, Right? That we don't forget about God and we get the magnitude of his love and not just his love for us, but his power. That we would get it. Lord, help us to get it this morning. So I bow my knees before the, the God of all creation, he's saying. I believe in gratitude. I think of all of these things and I can't help but to get on my knees and turn and focus my attention to a God who can do anything. And he says, then that God, that he, the God of all creation, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. And he just said, don't be discouraged by this physical circumstance that is happening, but that you would be strengthened with might, that inside of us we would not be weakened by troublesome circumstances, but that we would be found in the Spirit of God, and that we would have spiritual might, that we follow him with fervor and spiritual fortitude and not be weakened in our spirit when things get difficult. Again, the Apostle Paul is teaching us where to turn our attention to in the tough times. He's showing us where to look to, and then in 17 he's going to say, this is where we look to. That Christ may dwell in your hearts, he prays for us, by faith. Now, he's not saying that these people need to get saved. What he's saying is that Christ would be preeminent in our lives, that he would take the top spot, that we would not allow trouble in our world or in our circumstance, in our own families, or our individual lives, or in our country, or in our state. 2020 has been tough, yeah? But what he's saying is don't turn your attention and make every single prayer about the trouble that you're going through or the pain that we're experiencing, but rather focus your attention on this and allow him to be in our hearts by faith in the very middle of the center of our beings, right? That Christ would have preeminence, that every prayer is not just about the stuff that we're going through. And we don't move the love of Christ out of the center of our beings and replace it with stuff, right? whether it's stuff out of ambition or stuff out of trouble, none of those things should take the center, should take the throne of our beings, you know? Only Jesus, only Jesus is what he's saying, that we will be um, allowing Christ to dwell in our hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. A long time ago, I saw something about desert plants or plants in the desert, you know? Um, plants that have to, have to grow in ridiculous circumstances. It can get super cold in the desert at night and be unbearably hot in the day. How in the world anything will just live out in the open sun and in the open elements? I have no idea. But something that you find about desert plants, if you want to look for that, um, is that some of them, their roots have to grow super deep to find nourishment. 
And I think that's what the Apostle Paul is pointing to, is sometimes our roots have to grow deep because it's a dry and hot and weary land. The land of our lives can sometimes be dry and hot and weary. God, where are you? Every time I pray, you don't feel like it's getting any further than the ceiling, and I don't know what's going on right now, the circumstance around me. You know, but the Apostle Paul is saying, focus your attention instead on Christ. Keep him in the center of things. Be rooted. Be grounded in the love of Christ. And let that be the driving force of our lives. And then he's going to say that we may be able to comprehend or understand not an exact measurement of the breadth and length and depth and height of God's love to know the love of Christ, which all of us should, which passes knowledge. That's the answer. But to live in the light of that, that his love passes our knowledge for us, that we focus our attention there instead. And it says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There it is again, that Jesus completes his church, that we would be filled with the fullness of God, that we would not be chasing stuff and that we would not be so distracted by the trouble in our lives that we are not fulfilled or complete. The apostle Paul is in house arrest and he might very well die. Now we understand that this is not going to be the place that he's martyred, but he is eventually martyred for his faith but even in the middle of that he's talking about being full and complete and not living in this place where we feel like we're lacking something how could we possibly lack something after we go and look at chapters one and chapter two and for this cause he's saying i get on my knees and i pray that you would get it that we serve a god who has provided you with every single thing that you need to live the life that he has created for you to live now the world might present a very different life for us to live that can leave us empty and dry and dull and unfulfilled but not so when we are connected with the creator of the universe we've got to remember that's what we were created for. We did not, we were not created to pay bills. We were not created to amass wealth. We were not created for popularity. We were created when you look at the very fabric of who we are in the, be in the beginning God, why he created us, that we are created with this fellowship relationship with him. And outside of that, nothing will be complete for long. Nothing will be full for long. Again, I could say it again and again. We know people and we've probably lived seasons of our lives chasing stuff and being unfulfilled and frustrated, right? And then looking to God and saying, God, why am I unfulfilled and frustrated? I said frustrated. Frustrated, right? There's an R in there. <laughs> um, God, why? why? Why am I unfulfilled? God, why are you not filling me up? And I think the answer to that is you're just going to the wrong fountain, you know? But praise the Lord, we have access to every spiritual blessing, everything that we need. He's saying, focus your attention instead of on the trouble, focus your attention on the love of Christ and stay where you were created to stay. Now, now, he gets to a doxology. This is this hymn of praise to God, this bursting forth of praise. I think of all of this stuff. And I bow my knees and I pray that you, the universal church, would get it, right? That you would really get it on a deep and spiritual level that impacts something in our lives. And now, presently, from prison, in your trouble, don't be discouraged, don't be weakened in your spirit, but right now, unto him that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask, all that we think according to the power that works in us, this moment in Scripture 
is very beautiful. And it, it is a place um, that is worthy of our mirrors or your car visor or wherever you keep stuff. It's worthy of that. Now, when you see that word now, that should bring back this memory of all that he's already said that we have in Christ. Right? And now we focus and we turn our attention on his love and understand that this God who loves us immeasurably is inside of us and also has a power that is immeasurable. Because when we come to our God in confidence, you can't even think of the stuff that he can do. You can't even think of how big his power is. So now to that God that works in us and that loves us to no end and his power knows no end and I have a one-on-one -on -one audience with this God, unto him be glory in the church. Amen? Unto him be glory in the church. By Christ Jesus throughout all ages, throughout the whole world, without end. Let the church say amen. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God in our lives and in our actions and in our being. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is going to do. He's going to turn in chapter 4 and he's saying this is the ortho orthodoxy. This is the doctrine. Now here's the orthopraxy. Here's how you practice that stuff. You know, we got a lot of stuff in Jesus Christ, right? I said last night, what if we want a whole bunch of money, like a whole bunch of money? You know, we would feel some sort of, uh, I don't know, responsibility to that, maybe to help our family or to tithe on that or to um, make the world a better place in some way. You know, but what we've been given in Christ is worth a whole lot more than that, you know? For real, though. It really is. It's not just jargon. What we've been given is eternal, right? What we have is worth way more than any physical thing that we could get. So then the Apostle Paul is going to say in chapter 4, walk with the weight of what you've been given, right? Walk worthy is what the King James says here. Look at number 4. I got two minutes. You ready? I gotta listen fast. <laughs> so he's saying, again, my, I'm the servant of the Lord Jesus. And he's saying, walk worthy of all that we've been given in Christ. Now again, chapter two tells us very plainly, you're not earning your salvation, right? This is the free gift of God and you're not earning anything. But as this servant willingly before the Lord, you've been given all of these things. Now, walk worthy of that, walk worthy of that in humility and in meekness, in unity with one another. Something that I wrote down right here because he's going to talk about forgiving one another and loving one another in the body, right? That the only appropriate response to offense, you know, this is something that was deeply impactful for me, but the only appropriate response to offense is grace. And why? Because you're not perfect either. And we've got to live with the realization that no person that you encounter along the days of your lives is going to be perfect. No person that you enter a relationship with, an acquaintance with, that you work with, no person in the closest piece of your family, not one of those people is a perfect human being. And we ourselves are not perfect people. And therefore, somewhere in the middle of the hurt, somewhere in the middle of the pain, 
the only appropriate response is grace. That can feel like a horse peel when you're actually going through, but it's the truth. So I'm going to get, um, I'm going I'm to kick this can down the road to just one more spot, and that is in chapter 4. And I did come from the NLT, NLT here. I just like the way that it was worded better. I feel like it was a good um, expression of the original language here. And he says, now remember, again, he's talking to people who he has already called holy. He's already called righteous. This is speaking to their stance before God because of Christ, right? But to these same people, he's saying, we can have this standing in Christ and still be walking in the flesh in this old nature. Throw off your sinful nature. That stuff that he rescued from, get rid of that mess. Throw off your sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. And this should not bring this huge weight of guilt on us, but to understand that we have veered off the path and we put on that old mess again. He's just saying, take it off. Get rid of it. Identify it like David said in the psalm. God, search my heart. Know me. Know me for real and point out any offense. And now I'm willing to submit to your authority again. And I apologize for those moments that I let my flesh rule my life. Right? Throw that stuff off. And instead, let the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, let Him renew your thoughts and attitudes. I don't think there's one day that goes by that each one of us couldn't use an attitude adjustment, right? His mercies are new every morning, but as a matter of choice, we can get up and say to the Lord, you direct my thoughts, Lord. You direct my attitude. You determine who I will be today. Let the Spirit... This is our jobs, right? This is who we are. And this is our choice to come before the Lord and say, you rule and you reign, you control and you have your way. Renew my thoughts, renew my attitudes. Put on, put on. This is something that you actually have to do. This doesn't say that you wake up with God's nature on you. We are still in the flesh, but we walk in the spirit, right? But as a person who has not inherited eternity yet, I've, I don't have a glorified body yet. So I still have lust. I still have ugly stuff that comes to my mind. I still have all kinds of stuff that I'm going to have to deal with until I get there, right? So he's saying when you get up today, this is something you actually have to do is to put on, put the new nature on by choice, by prayer, right? He's saying here, and 24, put on that new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. All right, last spot, 30. Don't bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit by the way that you live. This points to something, that this love relationship that we have with the Lord, that we can and we do grieve him when we choose to operate outside of his will. He has identified you, just you, now, yes, all of us collectively, but he has identified you as his child, as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So, in this list, can you find yourself here, anywhere in this stuff? You know, not as a matter to step on your toes until you squeal, you know, but sometimes it feels that way, don't it? We allow, like James says, the word of God to have an impact, 
that we don't look into God's word and turn away and forget what it says, but we're doers of the word. So get rid of bitterness and rage and anger, harsh words. Let that one soak in, you know, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, the Apostle Paul's words, and I believe the, the, the push behind what he's saying is not this. If you don't, then you're going to hell. Nope, he's saying you guys are righteous and holy saints by standing in Christ. But we live with the understanding that the flesh can Take over, we can allow that stuff to rule and reign. So, as David said, God, search our hearts this morning. First, God, help us to get it. To not treat the cross and all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. To not treat that as commonplace. It's just everyday stuff. But something that really matters is the very weighty. And that as we understand who we are in Christ, that we will also fall to our knees and pray for ourselves and pray for our brothers and sisters, that we get it, right? That we turn our attention rather than on our physical circumstance. We keep Christ. We give him preeminence and we keep him in the middle of our circumstance, in the middle of our beings, right? And we allow God to control and rule and reign and that we would get it just how much that he loves us, just how big his power is, Right? And then that we would understand our standing in Christ, that we would not be weak in our spirits, but we would be strong. And that from that place, we will live lives that honor this God who has poured out himself, poured out grace, showered down mercy on our behalf. Amen? Let's go to the Lord. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness on our behalf. God, I pray that you would help us to get it, that you would help us to live in the light of all that you have done um, for us. God, that our hearts would not be a heart of stone where nothing can grow, but God, if there's stuff that has made our hearts like a heart of stone, God, give us a heart of flesh. And would you plow that ground maybe that has been um, dry for so long? God, and help us to live a life that is vibrant, that is strong in your spirit, God, help us to understand your love in a real way, and Lord, help us to live in the light of it. God, like David said, search our hearts today. Know our deepest thoughts. God, and would you bring to light, reveal anything that's in us that offends you, that is not like you. And Lord, help us to get rid of those things that we live a life that is fulfilled by your spirit, by your presence. And Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the book of Ephesians, God. Thank you for um, Paul's affliction, that you had him seated somewhere long enough to write your words, that you would breathe through him, particularly today to to the Ephesian people. Lord, thank you so much for who you are, for all that you do. Lord, thank you for redemption. Thank you that we can stand and sit in our seats today and we can think about it that we are the redeemed of the Lord and we will say so. God, I pray that you would use our lives to shine light for you. God, help us to be on fire and let that fire blaze in front of a dark, lost, and dying world, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.